Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 39 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schoolfield. Happy to be here for today, Thursday, November 14th, 2019. Got a locked and loaded show for you today. A huge listener favorite, although he is making his Sco Show debut, is the one and only Michael J. Kist from Bleeding Green Nation. He's the co-host of the Kiss and Solak Show. He is the producer for everything they do over at Bleeding Green Radio. He's the guy that we're all trying to chase in terms of the work that they're doing over the Bleeding Green Radio and their podcast network. He's also the co-host of the QB Sco Show. So Mike and I spend a lot of time together talking about quarterbacks, and we're going to get his thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles. We're also going to talk about the Eagles and their defense. I'm going to talk about some things that concern me as well as some areas where I think the New England Patriots are going to be able to have a lot of success throwing the ball against that Philadelphia defense. But first, you know the drill, friends. It's time for that cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along the hijinks at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Check out the work at a variety of places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. We've got a new episode of The Quick Game out. Matt and I going for about an hour plus Hitting a ton of topics. You can check that out. MattWaldmanRSP.com. And yes, that trio of SB Nation websites. Big Blue View. Bleeding Green Nation, as I just mentioned. The QB Sco Show. And of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit. You probably saw the piece yesterday on the Philadelphia Eagles run game. So I'm doing the work to get you ready for Sunday. In that vein, let's talk about this Eagles defense. And let's start with some numbers. Sometimes it's nice to start with numbers. Give me numbers, Josh Lyman would say. And this is kind of a middle-of-the-pack defense. But one of the areas that concerns me is what they can do in terms of generating pressure. Now, the Eagles, as I said, middle-of-the-pack defense. 24 sacks on the season, that is right at 15 in terms of the league-wide numbers. More sacks, though, than the Baltimore Ravens, who only had 16 as we headed into Week 11. But as we know here at the SCO Show, Pressure equals production. And the Eagles' defensive front can get pressure. How do we know that? Quarterback hits. They currently have 58 through nine games of this season. That is ninth most in the league. Two behind the Patriots, who sit at seventh with 60 quarterback hits. The Pittsburgh Steelers, believe it or not, lead the league in quarterback hits with 71, followed by the Minnesota Vikings at 67 and the Jacksonville Jaguars at 63. How do we know pressure equals production? Just think about two weeks ago. Why? Baltimore Ravens. They're a top five team in quarterback hits with 61. Some other numbers that tell you that this Philadelphia Eagles defense, specifically their pass defense, is kind of a middle-of-the-pack defense. They are 15th in adjusted net yardage per attempt allowed by quarterbacks with 6.3. Worst in the league, the Cincinnati Bengals, who we'll see in a couple of weeks. They're giving up an ANYA of 9.0 which again makes opposing quarterbacks look like Patrick Mahomes. Eagles are also middle of the pack when it comes to quarterback rating allowed. 91.7, that's what quarterbacks are posting against them this season. Now, it's not where, say, other teams are, like the Baltimore Ravens, who are allowing opposing passers a quarterback rating of just 81.2. But this is a middle of the pack pass defense that can generate pressure. But I said we were going to talk about things that the Patriots will be able to do against them. And it's time to dust off one of our favorites here at the SCO Show and formerly over at Locked On Patriots, the Yankee concept. Why? Well, because it's an awesome offensive concept. 
with a deep post route and an under route coming underneath it, crossing from one side of the field to the other. You get that high-low look on the middle of the field safety, and it's usually a max protection concept run off of play action. Why do we love it? Because it works. Why does it sometimes work? Because it confuses that middle of the field safety and it gives the quarterback a nice defined read, high-low on that player. If the safety stays deep, you throw the route in front of him. If he comes down on the route in front of him, you throw the post route over his head. Why are we going to see a lot of the Yankee concept this week? Well, dear friends, the Eagles can't cover it this year. Period. Full stop. They just can't cover it. Whether it's a, a talent thing, a scheme thing, an execution thing, I don't know. But you can go back to week one. And a touchdown pass from Case Keenum. Yes, remember him? Case Keenum to Terry McLaurin. Early second quarter. Keenum is on our center. Play action fake. You get the dig route underneath, the post route over the top. So it's more of a Mills look. But again, Yankee Mills, they're similar. They're coming from other sides of the field. Safety crashes down hard on the dig route. Terry McLaurin is now running a post route with no help in the middle of the field against an out-leveraged cornerback. Easy throw, easy catch, 69-yard, nice touchdown. That was week one. Let's talk about week six. Eagles make the trip west out to Minnesota to play the Vikings. And you get a second-quarter touchdown from... Kirk Cousins to Stephon Diggs going for 62 yards. And what happens? You get the same kind of concept. You get a cross and roll from Adam Thielen against the cover four look. Both safeties in the middle of the field, they jump the dig. They don't exchange. They don't do anything to take care of the post route. There's no help in the middle of the field. Stephon Diggs wide open on a post for a touchdown. Heck, let's look at week nine against Mitchell Trubisky. And the biggest throw of the game from Trubisky, the one that got their offense jump-started, it was off of a play-action play. You had sort of, it wasn't even a dig. It was more like a curl from the backside. But the safeties get caught looking at the play-action. They let the post route from Taylor Gabriel get over the top. Huge play at that point for the Chicago Bears. Trubisky's able to hit it for a huge game. There's been a difficulty in communication amongst the safeties for the Philadelphia Eagles so far. And so there will be opportunities for the Patriots to hit on downfield plays like this. And what do we know the Patriots like to do? They like to run play action, check, Yankee concept. They like to throw crossers off of play action, check. Look at Sanu, look at Julian Edelman, how they're using them. And so the Eagles' safeties are going to be worried about stuff like that. And it's going to give them a chance, the Patriots, to hit on one of these deep throws down the field, over the top, on a concept like Mills, like Yankee, where you show play action, you show that crosser route in front of the safeties, they bite down on both the play action and the route in front of them, and you throw it over the top for a big game. So that's one thing to look for. I think the Patriots will run a couple of shot plays like that. The other thing to keep in mind, the Eagles have struggled with their linebackers running downhill against play action. It's been an area of contention for the Eagles and their fans. Again, I I do an Eagles podcast, and I get DMs or Mentions on Twitter with people saying, you know, how the Eagles going to handle their linebackers. They're so aggressive against the run. They get caught so many times flowing downhill against play action. There will be opportunities to throw play action crossers like we saw, like we talked about in one of last week's shows. Against Baltimore, you show that play action look, you get that linebacker cheating downhill. Sometimes it just takes a step. And that's all Tom Brady needs to make a throw on a crosser route. So you put those bits of information together. 
their linebackers' eagerness to get downhill against the run, which is going to open up some crossers. You might get the safeties worried about that. Safeties start cheating downhill against crossers, and then you hit them with a big play over the top. I think that's a recipe for offensive success for the New England Patriots. And let's also be honest. Their corners struggle in coverage. You can see them get beat. Mills, you know, Darby, they, they get beat on vertical routes and double moves at times. Trubisky had a chance to hit Allen Robinson on a vertical route. He just underthrew it. He had Robinson had beaten Jalen Mills, but he underthrows the ball. And so if Brady can execute, there will be opportunities to hit these guys in the downfield passing game. And so while I'm worried about their pressure up front and what they can do with guys like Barnett and Graham and Fletcher Cox, if Brady has time to throw, there are plays to be made against the second and third level. Guys like Nathan Gary on the second level, aggressive downhill, you can get play-action plays behind him. Guys like Darby and Mills, they can get beaten with double moves. Malcolm Jenkins is struggling a little bit this year. You can get throws deep down the middle of the field as well against this defense. And so there will be opportunities to make plays. And I think the offense is going to have a good game passing the football against the Philadelphia Eagles. But that's just one man's opinion. You're going to get another man's opinion here in a second when we spend some quality time with the one and only Michael Kist. That is ahead on episode 39 of The Sco Show. And welcome back to the latest installment of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield here in the big chair, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation. And it's time for quality time. And look, I know the listeners to The Sco Show have been clamoring for this moment. I see you in the Slack channel. I hear you in the Slack channel saying we cannot wait for Eagles Week because there is one guest that we need to have on. To that point, when I asked for questions for a show for last week, the questions I got instead of for me, they were for this guest a week ahead of time. That's how excited the people are for our next guest who is a friend of mine. I consider him a dear friend. We host a show together, the QB Sco Show on Bleeding Green Radio. He's the one and only Michael J. Kist. Mr. Kist. Welcome to the Sco Show. Mark, it is is great to be here. Are you just pumping me up? Are, are fans really I, that excited? I kid you not, Mike. I <laughs> sent out questions for a show like after the Ravens lost. Like I need some questions. And the first like five questions I got were all about the Eagles. And I'm like, guys, I'm recording with Kiss next week. And they were like, oh. And that was it. They <laughs> just wanted amazing. to hear from you. They don't care about me. They just well, they want you to take over the show, I think. I, I am glad to be here. I won't be taking over, but of course, make sure that you're listening to me and Mark every week on the QBS Go Show as we take a look around quarterbacks around the leagues and you know the Eagles matchup for that week. But yeah, I'm very excited to be here, and I'm and I'm glad this is uh, highly anticipated. I I hope I live up to those expectations. Well, I have no doubt that you will, Michael. And I think we sort of need to start here. What's the current state of the nation when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, it's not fantastic. This, this is a team that had gigantic expectations coming into the season. Much in the Many in the national media called this team a top three talented team, not just in Philadelphia, but again, national reporters as well. This was a team that a lot of people had ex- expected to just be like guaranteed double digit wins. And it's just not looking like that's going to be the case for sure. The, the NFC East is uh, highly in doubt and the Eagles are going to need to make a move here at the second half of the season and win some tough games against New England, against Seattle. They've got Dallas coming up as well. It's certainly doable, but what fans and media around here expected has not been the reality. And the, the defense 
has taken a step back even from I feel last year uh, they're getting into some boat races against some 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 offenses like the Vikings and, and Dallas and they're getting behind early the offense is still plagued by slow starts in the beginning of the games before they find their rhythm just overall it feels like they're they're losing to teams that they shouldn't teams are sticking around more than they should the Chicago game is a good example they had a, they have a great defense but that offense what was it nine net passing yards before the half and they were still in that game towards the end of the game. So it doesn't feel like it feels like 2018 where the Super Bowl just kind of leaked from 2017 into 2018. And it's not that 2017 season for the Eagles. It's more like last year. And I think it's it's a it's a bit worrying for Eagles fans that they can't seem to get that dominance back. They're not blowing teams out like the fans want to see. So definitely under expectations, they've got time to get it right. But there are a lot of concerns about this team right now from the defensive perspective, from the playmakers and, and so on and so forth. So a lot to find out about this Eagles team after the bye. Now let's talk about one of those playmakers, and it's a guy that you and I talk about every single week. We just got done talking about him for the QB Sco show that will be out later this week. But where are we right now with Carson Wentz, Michael? Are we seeing the guy we hope to see, or are we sort of left underwhelmed? Yeah, I, I think some in in Philadelphia media are left underwhelmed because they're always expecting like elite play, and I think the conversation is wrong the the way we talk about quarterbacks just from a national perspective not even in just just about Carson Wentz you can talk about guys like Dak Prescott too I I feel fall under some unfair scrutiny from local media and, and fans and whatnot at any point in time there are maybe two to three quarterbacks playing at an elite level for a solid clip of time in the NFL. And like, you can look around and you can say Russell Wilson is one of them. And even he took a step back against the San Francisco 49ers and whatnot. But other than that, you're not in dire straits. If your quarterback is in that second tier. And I think that's where Carson Wentz has been this season. And the win loss record might not reflect that, but you're also dealing with a quarterback who threw a stretch, had the most deep pass drops in the league, had the most drops overall in the league. And we talk about like, you know, a quarterback needs to elevate his team. Quarterback can't hand the ball to his guys 40 yards down the field. There were two drop passes that would have been game winning touchdowns. He cannot catch those himself and they didn't drop it because he didn't attend their birthday party or some nonsense. It's just something that happens and it's and it's bad luck. And speaking of the bad luck, I mean, Carson Wentz, we've talked about this before, Mark, kind of has to start to feel like he's a bit snake bitten in these big moments because these things tend to, you know, have tend to happen to him. And given the past of Nick Foles, like he has to deal with more on field and off field politics than than a franchise quarterback, a, a guy who the organization has, has said this is our guy than a lot of other quarterbacks around the league. And I think he's still struggling with that. So it's going to be interesting to see moving forward. And again, I'm very pleased with the Carson Wentz that we have gotten this season, but it is going to be interesting to see if he decides that he needs to press in these upcoming games with new England and Seattle. And it's a very real possibility. We don't even know what Carson Wentz looks like as, as a playoff quarterback. And we're still trying to figure out what he is as a big game quarterback. So again, there are questions about him. I'm I'm glad he's the quarterback in Philadelphia, but the, like I said, just like with the Eagles, we're going to find out a lot about them in the next couple of weeks. I think we're going to find a lot about out about uh, Carson Wentz as well. 
Now, Michael, as I said, we have a ton of listener questions to get to, so I'm going to dive right into these. And these all come via the Sco Show Slack channel, which, again, you could be a member of, at Mark Schofield on Twitter or mark.schofield.insidethepylon.com for the invite. And this one comes from Calvin S. He wants to know, Michael, everybody seems to think this is going to be a big game for Miles Sanders. Could you address why Sanders is such a matchup problem for New England? Yeah, Sanders was a guy that didn't have a whole lot of production as a receiver in college, but I felt like his athletic profile projected well to the NFL, and that so far has proven to be the case. Sanders is is a dangerous guy because of his athleticism. He has fantastic bursts and has shown the ability to catch the ball and make adjustments in the air and whatnot. But what the Eagles are so good at doing and the New England Patriots run a lot of man coverage. So this play is kind of in what the Eagles want to do with their running backs. You know, you go back to the Super Bowl, that mess sit wheel concept that that gets a huge gain out of Corey Clement because you've got the natural rub there and the linebacker has to make a decision whether to scrape over the traffic or scrape under and they can throw it a different way depending on what that linebacker does. They're going to put the, the linebacker and whoever's covering the running back into a bind they're going to scheme those up it's not just because it's sanders because of his athleticism which is good and already creates a problem it's the way in which they create traffic and then expose space with those running backs so that's a big reason why i think the eagles would be able to utilize sanders in a successful manner against the patriots with how much man coverage if they continue on that trend that the patriots run and you might have addressed some of this just now michael but this next question from ricky keeler what kind of trick plays does Peterson have up his sleeve this week? And does his creative play call and create problems for the Patriots? Yeah, I mean, we, we saw it in the Super Bowl, of course, the Philly Philly and, and, and all that stuff. But uh, they also had some guys in the blender on some RPO concepts where you're showing, you know, run action to the right side. And then you've got the passing concepts to the left. And it was really tricky for the Patriots defense to deal with. They make you think a lot. And they're able to manipulate you and get you, you know, into a different direction, the flow in a different direction, get guys moving in a different direction. Like, yeah, you just look at, at one play of what it can do for an offense. You take their wham concept where you've got like an interior defender that the tight end is going to come crashing down. They're going to get their center or their guard up onto a linebacker. Not only does that that motion allow the the center of the guard to get up to the second level but that tight end coming across if you're playing man it's probably taking a safety out of the alley for that run too we saw that in miles sanders big run against green bay so they do a lot of different things to move you out of the way and then expose that space and again with the patriots playing so much man coverage i really do feel like it's kind of tailor made for a doug peterson game plan where he can manipulate guys create space and then exploit that space we got a great question, as we do every week, from Mattia Rizzo all the way from Italy. How are the Eagles going to replace Deshaun Jackson as far as production, but also his his loss in the vertical passing game? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they are. Right. A lot of consternation among among fans about getting a deep threat at the trade deadline. I know they looked at Robbie Anderson last year, tried to make a move for him. That didn't go through. They looked at him again this year, and and, and the cost was too high because I think the Eagles know that they bet on two guys that aren't coming through for them. Number one, Deshaun Jackson needed the surgery, and then I think they thought they might get 2017 deep threat Nelson Aguilar, and instead they've gotten 2019 deep threat Aguilar, which the the connection between between him and Wentz has not been good. Aguilar has not been good in the air. Uh, is having issues tracking the ball. There's all, all all sorts of issues there. This is this has gone to a very condensed offense without Deshaun in there. Obviously, you're seeing. 
Carson Wentz throw at a lower yards per attempt and, and all those things. So I think it's going to be really difficult to replace that. I don't think they can fully. So it's going to have to come down to, you know, Wentz is going to have to come up to the line and find a look that he likes and then audible into it. I don't think they're dialing up shot plays as much as they would be with Deshaun out there. And I don't think it's going to be easy to replace at all. Speaking of those receivers, we got a pair of questions here from John Limarakis asking about two of them. One, could Nelson Aguilar track a blimp in flight or would he lose that too? And the other question is, what has gone wrong with J-Jaw? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Nelson, no. No, no. He, <laughs> no. Yeah. A lot, a, lot, a lot of issues going on with him. Some of them I've already touched on, so we'll move on from that. With J-Jaw, it's interesting because you, know, you, you pick this guy in the second round and he has that game-winning drop against the Detroit Lions. And next thing you know, the guy is essentially benched. And the next thing you hear about him is they're cross-training him at different positions. I, I I don't understand how they stick with Aguilar so much with the drops and go back to him and purposely go back to him. But you take a rookie and you kind of shatter his confidence after a, a high-leverage drop that a lot of people remember. And that's the only thing that he's thinking about when he lays his head down on his pillow at night. That's how you that's how you ruin guys. So I'm expecting to see a lot more J-Jaw in this game, considering that he's been cross-training different positions. They haven't been getting production out of Mac Hollins. This is the week for me where I think I should see more J-Jaw for the Eagles. So what's going on with him might not be what's going on with him coming out of the bye. Uh, if, if he still can't see the field, then, then you know I really start to worry. Also from John Lemarakis, Michael, he wants to know, how has Andre Dillard performed when he was high up on some of our draft boards here at the SCO Show? Yeah, I mean, Dillard's been awesome. I think he's still got some issues with functional strength, and I, th- I think we knew that was going to be the case, thus the plan that they had for him backing up Jason Peters, which has been great. I mean, you look at any other line around the NFL, what team can survive the loss of a left tackle or a right tackle or a left tackle and a right tackle or a tackle and a guard? And the Eagles are in that position to where they can survive those things. Peters was playing at a high level. Dillard comes in, has a little bit of struggles against, you know, the dynamic pass rushes against Minnesota, but otherwise, you know, quits himself well. And I think he's played really well. And he, and right now, a lot of the things that he, he needs refinement on, he makes up for with athleticism. I think he's been better in the run game than, than people thought he would be coming out. I mean, the future is bright for Andre Dillard, which is great for the Eagles. Now, Michael, I'm going to get you out of here on this one. And usually the get out question I ask is, you know, your expectations for the game or, or something like that. But when I got this question submitted from a listener, given your history with me and on the QB Sco show and how we handled that show, I thought it was the most appropriate way to get you out of this, this bit here. And so I'm asking from Andy Likens, and he wants to know, Michael, what historical battle does this matchup most closely align to? So I love this question, and I'm going to take some liberties and and kind of rephrase it. I hope this game is an extension of the Super Bowl, and you know which one I'm talking about. And by that I mean I hope this— Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I had to. I know. I love it. I love it. Look, I I hope this is just an extension of the Battle of Ein Jalut of 1260. So the Mongol Empire is expanding west into Europe specifically. You're talking about their success in Poland, Hungary, and the Balkans. You've also got the Mongols bringing the Middle East to its knees around the same time. They smashed through Baghdad, Aleppo, Damascus, and others, including the uh, eradication of the Order of Assassins, super interesting group. And left standing are the Mamluks. And the Mongols wanted Cairo. And Helugu Khan's mission given to him by his brother, Monkey Khan, was to deliver that jewel of the Nile to the Mongol Empire. And in a letter to the Mamluk leader, Kutuz, 
Helugu says things like, you cannot escape from the terror of our armies. Our horses are swift. Our arrows are sharp. Our swords are like thunderbolts. Our hearts are as hard as mountains. Our soldiers are as numerous as the sand. Resist and you will suffer the most terrible catastrophes. And, and it goes on and on like this in typical Mongol fashion. So Kutuz takes these Mongol envoys delivering this message. He cuts them in half and has their heads displayed, which at the time, Probably the last thing you wanted to do in terms of response to the Mongols, considering all their success. Now, Monkey dies, and this means that the giant death robot of the Mongols is left without a brain. So the operation from Helugu is left to uh, Kipuka, one of Helugu's lieutenants. And the bulk of the army is now withdrawn to attend the ceremony in Mongolia while they try to figure out what they're going to do from a leadership perspective. Or... Or, if you believe more contemporary historians, because Helugu was always going to withdraw the bulk of his troops to cooler land in the summer anyway. Regardless, Kutuz takes advantage of this, and with both sides at about ten to 20,000 in strength now, the Mamluk cavalry breaks the Mongols, including the use of a feigned retreat that the, was a Mongol trademark. It marks the first decisive and irrecoverable loss of the Mongols. They are unable to avenge this loss, and it broke the cloak of invincibility surrounding the Mongols. So the hope is that the Eagles win over the Patriots in the Super Bowl is one that the Patriots never avenged, despite success elsewhere. And that starts on Sunday for the Eagles. And I certainly hope it's not the Battle of Arusio, where after several big losses, the Romans were able to subdue the Kimbri. So that that's that's what I'm hoping this is. Not be be the Mamluks, not the Kimbri. Be the Mamluks, not the Kimbri. Michael, that is just <laughs> fantastic. Again, look, if you like the historical reference you just heard there, you need to be listening to the QB Sco Show because Mike and I do stuff like that all the time. But I, I think that analysis right there was just tremendous stuff. Michael, got to let you pump the stuff. Please let the gentle listeners know where they can find you because, look, you're a fan favorite. So just remind everybody that probably listens to you more than me where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. And look, I, I, I manage and, and produce and, and host a great podcast network for Bleeding Green Nation. If you put Bleeding Green Nation into any podcast app, it'll come up. We have tons of shows from tons of different perspectives, X and O breakdowns. You're going to want to catch it all to get to know the Eagles coming into this game. And I appreciate the, all the love that the Patriots listeners have uh, have shown me. I, I think we're doing great work at the QB Sco Show. That they They know me that well. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they're they huge fans of you, and they should be huge fans of you, Michael, because you do such tremendous work over at BGN. And, folks, that will do it for today. Next time you'll hear from me is Saturday on Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind, where I'll be recapping some of the stuff we did, get you ready for NFL weekend, as well as college football and the slate of games we got to look ahead to. But that will do it for today. Until next time, friends, please do keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.